Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Jason Coleman, and you are listening to Things That Make You Go Hmm Book Review Podcast. And welcome to another episode of Things That Make You Go Hmm, Book Review Podcast. I am your one-man book club, Jason Coleman. Thank you so much for joining me once again. Um, If any of you have been a longtime listener, you probably already know I'm going to have to start off with my apologies, as usual, for not being here in a while. It's just, um, I kind of moved my podcasting location, and um, I just kind of got caught up with a few things. I'm on summer break right now, so... I don't know. It's the weirdest thing. After being a public school teacher for over 20 years, you would think like, you know, um, every year I tell myself I'm going to be a bit more productive in in my summer. Um, I make all these plans (laughs) to do all this stuff and and I never actually do it. I just, you know, mostly just feed into sloth and (laughs) and having a hard time getting myself motivated. So I do apologize, but I'm here now. So uh Enough, enough of me whining. How about we get to some books, shall we? Uh, now, today I'm going to be reading, I'm going to be uh, discussing a book called uh, Master Your Emotions, A Practical Guide to Overcome Negativity and Better Manage Your Feelings by Thibault Merus. Um, and it sounds pretty French, so forgive me if I, butch- if I butchered that. Um, so... If you've been listening to these podcasts, you probably know that my review of a book is kind of twofold. Um, On one hand, I think what I'm trying to do is to give you an idea of what you're going to encounter when you read the book, if you choose to do so. But I'm also trying to give you... I'm trying to filter the actual contents and the lessons through my own personal experiences because I am kind of a firm believer if you're going to read these type of books that deal with um, behavioral psychology and social interactions and self-help and productivity, and it has to have some kind of applicability in, into your own life. And sometimes I, I feel like books don't always have that. And that is one of the the ways that I'm I'm trying to read the book is because, you know, I, I tend to think of of reading the same way that the, the ancient Greeks thought of philosophy. They they didn't see, at least from what I understand, the, the ancient Greeks didn't see philosophy as some sort of um mystical academic pursuit. Okay. They they saw uh, philosophy as something that was supposed to be practical in actually improving your day-to-day life. So, um, I was inspired to do a podcast about this book because I do have a a good friend of mine who um, I spend time with um, from time to time. And we tend to get into a lot of... And he's also very into psychology and sociology and, um, you know, uh, heuristics and how people make their choices. And we, I, I like to have discussions with him. We we tend to have some pretty stimulating conversations. And lately, we've been talking a lot about 
emotions and perception and how how does that affect your life? And I think what the author in this book is really trying to drive home is that a lot of our own personal happiness is based upon how do you feel about your happiness? Um, I know it seems really simple, and maybe this is an oversimplification, I don't know, but a lot of the ancient Stoics, that's that's kind of how they approached your own mental well-being is they they would say, you know, how are you framing your your interaction? How are you framing your analysis of an event? And a lot of times you can perceive the event as something positive or you can perceive it as something negative. The author says, quote, a lot of your emotions is based upon your ego, which seeks to protect your identity. If you ever get the chance to see the movie, the documentary from, I want to say the the late 80s, early 90s, um, called Crumb, and it's about a very popular cartoonist from, I want to say the 60s, maybe 70s, um, and, his, and his two brothers, and um, Crumb's younger brother, who is also a very talented artist, but he suffered from very, very deep uh, mental depression and anxiety, and um, you know, it was just a bit of a mess. He was, he, I remember he said that, you know, and this was a guy who was pretty much what we would call maybe an incel today before the internet. I mean, he didn't really go outside very much. He, you know, he lived with his mother. He pretty much stayed in his room the entire day. I was kind of surprised that he even agreed to be interviewed. But one of the, um, the directors asked him, they said, what, where do you think your, um, where do you think your mental troubles come from? And I was kind of shocked. He said, my mental troubles come from my narcissism. And I mean, for a guy who really didn't look like he was taking care of himself very well, he didn't really look like he'd leave the house. I don't think he had very much, you know, interaction with other people or friends or anything like that. Why in the world would he think himself a narcissist? And he said that the issue is this. I'm I'm quoting Robert Crumb's younger brother here. He said, when you believe yourself to be of great importance and your thoughts to be correct, whenever anybody challenges those things, then your instincts are going to be to attack that person. And this is very similar to what Plato would talk about in his allegory of the cave, how you know the cave representing the darkness uh, shrouded in deception that people live in and then once somebody actually does is able to get out of the cave and they see the truth and they come back and tell everybody they're you know immediately you know executed or dealt with because we're not very good at understanding um, when people disagree or when we might be wrong it's it's a way of protecting our ego so if we can I wonder sometimes, and I think this is what the author is trying to communicate, if we can somehow take a step back, if we can evaluate our thoughts and our process, then we don't necessarily have to see a negative situation as a negative situation. And I know you can take this to an extreme and somebody might say, well, if you get your leg amputated, are you saying that's that's something that you can see as a positive? And, and, you know, I'm not going (laughs) to, 
<laughs> I, yeah, I'm not going to blow smoke, you know, up your skirt. No, I don't. I don't know how. I think that'd be very challenging. But at the same time, there are. I don't think that's what we go through 99% of the time. I mean, mostly I get irritated when there's construction work going on around my house. Or I get irritated when my wife is on, you know, telling a long story about some friend that she has um, that I'm not sure if there's a point to the story, okay? Or I get irritated when I see something like at the store that looks really expensive and maybe I can't afford it. I mean, these those, I think, constitute the majority of of the things that's that drag people down and and yeah i think the stoic i think the stoics make a pretty good case that you can you can just reframe your thinking into to positive interactions now i'm i'm not under any illusions i understand that the brain operates on a neurological level that's that's really complicated that i don't i don't understand very well um let me tell you about the conversation I had with my friend that really motivated me to want to do this podcast is we were talking about why is it that we're haunted by <laughs> these interactions that we had many, many years ago that were that were pretty benign um, when you think about it. Um, I, I That I, I don't know. I, I don't know why it is that our brains go on these sort of feedback loops where we need to keep replaying these um, these unpleasant events in our head over and over. I don't know why we ruminate on them. I I do know that the Buddhists spend a lot of time trying to help train people to to redirect their thinking when it goes in that direction. I'll tell you about the story. So my my friend says to me, he goes, "Well, I remember I had an interaction with a coworker." And because um, he has a sister and I guess his sister is really young or well, she was young at the time, maybe a teenager. And her co-worker said, oh, do, do you have any nieces or nephews? And he retorted uh, in you know, a little bit of a cringy joke. He said, no, my sister's not ghetto like that. And the woman, apparently, I guess she was a teen parent and she goes, oh, well, I guess I'm really ghetto then. And, you know, she laughed about it. And, you know, he apologized and, um, you know, he, he said that he just felt terrible after, <laughs> you know, after saying that. I mean, looking back on it, yeah, it was a little cringy. Probably she deserved an apology, but I don't know if I would have been ruminating on it for 20 years, but he has been. OK, and so what the authors say about <laughs> this is that um we are evolved to protect our egos. We see failure and rejection as losing status among the tribe. So uh, we <laughs> instead of just accepting like, okay, I said something stupid, you know, I I probably should have known better, but you know, I, I live and I learn. It was it, it was a reflective moment. The Stoics might even say, maybe you should thank her because she put you in a position where you had to reeval reevaluate your thinking a bit. So <laughs> I, I think what, what the authors say here is, is really telling. They say that when you complain, it's just a way of saying that you are right and someone else is wrong. And I'm, I'm kind of stretching a little far back into my memory here, but I think um, some sociologists actually came up with a, a concept 
uh, called, um, I want to say, dyadic or dyadic completion. And basically what this concept is, is that we only understand the world in a binary system. Okay, so for example, and I, I think this is relevant, it kind of ties back to my conversation that I had too. If, if somebody is a good person, we only understand that if there's also a bad person that we can compare the person to. We can only understand um, hunger if we also understand what being full is like. Okay, so you get the point. So when it comes to this whole idea of, you know, um, when you're complaining, what you're saying is that you have been victimized, okay? And not only have you been victimized, but you are expecting the person who you're communicating this to um, to immediately take your side in the victimization process, okay? Now, mind you, I've done my fair share of complaining <laughs> in my lifetime. I'm not exempt from this, but I do think the author is bringing up a pretty good point here, and that is that when we complain, we reinforce our ego and our narcissism because what we are saying is that we are right, the other person is wrong, and if you're not going to justify my point of view here, then I'm going to get angry. <laughs> it's pretty crazy when you think about it, but that's more or less what's, what's happening here. So what if we could take a step back? What if we could say, all right, why am I complaining? Why did something offend me so much? Does it really deserve this much time and this much attention? And the answer to that is probably no. Um, I think in a perfect world, we could just basically evaluate the situation. Um, we could say that, you know, um, you know, we thought about it, we evaluated it, and we moved on. But unfortunately, it just doesn't it doesn't come out to be that way because, I don't know, there's probably something evolutionary in our brain set that makes us believe that we're not really at fault for things. And this starts at a pretty young age. I'll give you an example. Working as a public school teacher for, you know, many years, as I've said many times on this podcast, um, if a student f doesn't turn in their assignment, uh, very rarely have I heard, <laughs> um, very rarely have I heard in, in all of my years, a student say, I got distracted. I was doing some other things. Um, I, I, I honestly, I just wasn't motivated to complete it. You know, very rarely is there that sort of honesty. It's just more along the lines of saying something to the effect of, um, you know, uh, I left it at home. I left my assignment at home. Or sometimes I get blamed. They'll they'll turn something in late and say, oh, yeah, I turned this in. You just never gave me credit for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, my, now here, here's the kicker with all of this. I don't even, I mean, maybe I'll change my ways, I'm not sure, but usually I don't even mark students down for turning in late work. So there's no penalty for turning in a late assignment. So why would students tell me, you know, that they turned in something on time, but they never got credit, even if they don't get a penalty for turning in late? Why not just say, oh, I did turn this in, um, I turned it in late, and, and let that be the end of the story? Well, because if they did, <laughs> this is what's fascinating, because if they did that, on some level, they would have to be accepting blame for their actions, which is just very unnatural 
for people to do. It takes practice. It takes training. But I do agree with the author that you're going to have to confront this um, if you want to become better at, at mastering your emotions. Because, I mean, what are what are we really saying when we say mastering your emotions? What we're saying is we want to feel positive emotions more and feel sad emotions less. But I think about what Hamlet says when um and I'm excuse me I'm paraphrasing I'm paraphrasing a little bit here but he says uh things um are not good or bad it's only thinking that makes it so so i i think what the research is pretty conclusive about is yes when you are living in in abject poverty then you're probably going to be less happy than somebody who has a basic standard of living um, in the Western or I guess in the the industrialized world, I should say, what we would consider to be a, dis- a decent standard of living, an acceptable standard of living, which I would categorize as food, shelter, medical care, education, um, time for leisure, recreation, companionship, okay? But I really believe that most of us have this, honestly. Um, I think where we run into problems is that I, I don't I don't know. It's kind of weird in, in the United States. Like we we feel as if if you're not, you know, jumping out of bed in the morning and high fiving your family and doing cartwheels on your way to work that. I don't know. Your your life is somehow lacking. You've gotten it wrong. You, you you know, you're not you're not really following your passion or some other you know uh, grifting um, scheme. You know, I and and that's something I've had to I've had to come to to grips with myself is this whole notion of what is it that really is 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 responsible for for driving this positive thinking that that I'm I'm talking about and I, I think that this is I think this is important because what the authors say is that psychologists have shown that mental suffering is what consumes most of your energy and I don't know what it is but my profession I am so physically and psychically tired when I get home from work, it's really difficult for me to to do anything other than um, maybe just sit on the couch or play some video games. I've actually taken to a little off the subject. I've I've taken to walking uh, recently, and I do like listening to to audiobooks and podcasts. And so that's kind. I, I've kind of found a little bit of joy. Luckily, that I can pair that with uh, some exercise, but. I really think that, you know, if you think about it, I mean, I'm not, I'm not lifting heavy, you know, stuff. I'm not operating machinery. I'm not like drywalling. I'm, you know, um, I'm, I'm not a professional athlete. I'm not like doing high intensive exercising for several hours a day. So what in the world has me so exhausted by the time I get home? Well, I think it's the mental suffering, honestly. I think I'm 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 worrying about 
you know, what I'm going to be teaching the next day. I'm redirecting several students who aren't paying attention. I'm wondering why it is that something wasn't turned in when it should have been. Um, I have to, I'm thinking about an email that I have to return to an irate parent. I mean, just (laughs) look at how much negative energy I'm giving you just from, you know, giving you a quick overview of, of what my day might be like. And so I feel as a way of improving our energy is to just reframe these negative things into, into positive things. Because really, I, I mean, I don't. I really don't think most of this is consequential. Um, rarely. I mean, I, I mean, let's face it. Like, whether you, you know, I mean, the worst thing that ever happens is I accidentally hurt a student's feelings. But you know, I don't think they're going to remember. You know, a few hours later, what I said. Okay, I don't think that whether a student, you know, loses a few points on you know, towards their, you know, uh, their grade is really going to affect things all that much. But we, we stress over these things. We give it a tremendous amount of mental energy. When my supervisor walks in to evaluate me, I'm, I'm immediately anxious. And I don't know why. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to, I, I want them to like me, but I mean, I'm, I'm probably not going to do something that's radically different than what I've been doing that people have been satisfied with for the last 20 years. So why is it creating so much mental anguish? Anyway, I don't think that this is something that can necessarily be solved, you know, just by reading this book. But I I do think that reading books like Mastering Your Emotions can can definitely bring you some insight into how to evaluate whether it's really rational that you're unhappy about something or whether it's helpful or what exactly are you comparing yourself to? I mean, I, I guess if I were to compare how much money I make, you know, in America, I guess I would be, I don't know, maybe in the the top 40%, I guess. I, I, I'm not sure. Maybe top 30%. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's good if you look at it from an American point of view. Um, if I compare myself to, you know, I guess doctors, I would be, or, you know, high-level attorneys, I'd be in the bottom 1%. <laughs> but if I compare myself to people who make money, like, around the world globally, I'm probably in the top one half of 1%. So, I mean, what, what exactly am I comparing myself to It is the question. All right. Um, I think I've driven home this, this point. I, I'm sorry if this podcast came off a, a bit preachy. That was really not my intention. I think I'm speaking to you, the audience, but I'm speaking to myself as well because, you know, I'm learning the same way that, that you're learning. All right. So I'll go ahead and wrap it up here. I try to keep the podcast to around 20 minutes because I want this to be something that you can, you know, complete on a drive or a quick jog or, or something. So I'll, I'll go ahead and wrap this up now. I will attempt to uh, be a bit more, um, I should probably tell you I am going on vacation. Um, so I will be gone for a few weeks. But once I get back, the school year should be starting again. I should be back on to my regular routine, hopefully. So I'll be a little bit more uh, diligent about getting you the podcasts out. Um, 
in the meantime, if you enjoyed this, uh, first of all, thank you for staying all the way to the end. If there's any way that you could give me a thumbs up or share on your social media or write a nice review for me, uh, I'd really appreciate it just because I think what propels me to keep doing this is knowing that some people are are getting something from my insight and it's helping them to see the world in, in a slightly different way for themselves. All right, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Um, and until next time, happy reading. Thank you.